Amen. If you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, and I will turn there as well. As you're turning out, I'd like to ask you a question. Where uh, do you stand with the Lord? Uh, how much confidence do you have that you are a genuine child of God? If you knew that today uh, was going to be your last day, that you were going to die today, would you look into eternity from a place of confidence and peace, or would you experience a great deal of fear? How confident are you uh, that you have a relationship with God? I'll share with you just a um, secret pastor observation uh, from years of being a pastor and from doing hundreds of funerals most of the time we have way more confidence about the salvation of our loved ones than we do our own salvation. People struggle with this question, am I genuinely saved? Way more often than I think often uh, people will admit. And so as a consequence, sometimes we find ourselves praying to receive Christ, so to speak, over and over and over. And then sometimes people just live under a crushing doubt, just a, a, a paralyzing fear that they are not a genuine child of God. That's not how the Lord wants us to live. Now, if you are um, one of those people, I want to give you some comfort this morning as we try to tackle this issue, this subject. Uh, you're not alone. Uh, I read one book this week by J.D. Greer that I'll say more about in a moment or two. And J.D. Is, uh, is a leading pastor in America today and right now the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And I only say that so you'll know that this isn't a person somehow on the fringe of Christianity. And here's what he wrote in his book. He said, if there were a Guinness Book of World's Record record, for the number of times a person has asked Jesus into his heart, I think I would win it. He said that uh, before the age of 18 alone, he is certain that he asked Jesus into his heart over 5,000 times. Now, this is something that people just struggle with. Now, is that a problem? Should we have a certainty about our salvation? Is it really an issue if people doubt? Some people would say it's not an issue because a little bit of fear goes a long ways, right? And maybe that fear will serve to keep people in line. The problem with that, though, is that's not what the Bible says. The Bible talks about the issue of assurance over and over and over, and it says every single time that God desires that we have a full assurance of our salvation. I think about 1 John 5, 13 that says, these things are written that you might know that you have eternal life. And then the focus verse for us this morning is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, and we're really just going to look at the first five words. It says, take the helmet of salvation. Now, we've been focused in Ephesians 6 for three weeks now. Today is week three, and we've learned 
first of all, that we are in a spiritual battle. The Bible says that there are these evil spiritual forces that are arrayed against us, that Satan has schemes to destroy our lives, to ruin our relationships, to rob us of joy. And whether we agree with that or not, the evidence is overwhelming. The Bible data is clear. We're in a spiritual battle. And then last week, we learned how to fight that spiritual battle. We learned what it means to put on the armor of God. And we learned what it means to pray like crazy, which is what he says over and over at the end of this passage. But there were some questions last week. How do we specifically embrace what God says about us? How do we embrace who we are in Christ when it comes to the assurance of our salvation? And that's what he speaks of when he says, take up the helmet of salvation. So that'll be our focus today. It's important to put on the helmet. Here the helmet represents the assurance of our faith that we know for certain who we are in Christ and where we stand with the Father. If you're in a battle, a helmet is important. Uh, Soldiers wore helmets back in Bible days. Soldiers wear helmets today. It protects the most important part of you, right? Race car drivers wear helmets. Construction workers wear helmets. Uh, uh, Football players wear helmets. We need to wear helmets. We need to put on the assurance of our salvation so that we can withstand the attacks of, of Satan. So why is it, do you think, that so many people struggle with assurance? Why is it that that's perhaps the number one thing that people make an appointment to see a pastor about? Why, why is that something that, that pops up in people's lives over and over and over? Why does that keep us from running to the Father when we have a need? How does that, how does that keep us from knowing joy and peace when we, in reality, feel guilt and shame? Why do people doubt their salvation? I think there are two reasons. And I've I've given this a lot of thought and a lot of study this week because I want to simplify it as much as possible. I think there are really only, only two reasons why people doubt their salvation. One, because people, some people, are not saved. And they doubt their salvation because they know some things the Bible says about, about how many people are spiritual, religious people, yet they are not genuine followers of God. So that's one reason. Some people doubt their salvation because they, in fact, are not children of God. Now, other people doubt their salvation because they don't simply know some of the, some of the teachings of Scripture that would give them the full assurance that they need. Now, let me just show you a couple of these references so you'll know what I'm talking about before we get into the, how it is we can have the assurance of our faith. Uh, so let's start with the unsaved. If you turn back, or or I can just read these to you, but I'm reading from Matthew chapter 7, the words of Christ right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to what he says in verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few people find it. So he says that the broad road that most people are on, that road leads to destruction. That road leads away from God. That road ultimately leads to hell. But he says narrow is the road and narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life and not many people are on that road. And so it's important if we're not children of God and many people who think they are are not, 
then we need to know because narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. Now, let me read to you just a couple of more verses uh, from that same section, just down a half dozen. Verse 21 says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. So not everybody who comes to church and sings the songs and prays the prayers, not everybody is genuinely a Christian. He goes on to say, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name and do miracles in your name? And then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. And so I would not be a gospel preacher if I didn't say that there are many people who go to church week in and week out, who pray, who sing, who read their Bibles, but who are not genuine children of God. And they will be surprised when their time comes to discover that their religious activity was not the same as a genuine relationship with God. So that's one reason why people doubt. Now, I mentioned the other reason. Sometimes people doubt because they don't know some things that can give us assurance in Scripture. Uh, sometimes we just have a very sensitive heart. Sometimes uh, we misinterpret what the Holy Spirit is saying to us when he's trying to uh, change us and convict us of sin. We, we interpret that as a is a lack of salvation. Let, let me just share with you what the Apostle Paul said about some assurance that he had. 2 Timothy 1.12, Paul wrote, I know whom I have believed. He says, I know who I believe, and as a result, I am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. What the Apostle Paul says is, I know some things about God that allow me to have full confidence that my salvation is real and that my salvation is secure. So we need to handle both of those sides of this issue. Are we genuinely saved? And if we are, then how can we increase our assurance by knowing something of the character of God and the promises of, of Scripture? So today we're going to cover just the basics of this. Uh, there's not time uh, to cover everything the Bible says, uh, probably two dozen sections in the New Testament that talk of assurance, and uh, that would take us uh, a, a number of hours to do. Uh, but, so I'm going to give you the basics of this. But let me recommend a couple of books for you. I read both of these books, reread actually both of these books this week, and I listed them in your worship guide. And so one of them is by Donald Whitney, and he's sort of a uh, contemporary hero of mine. Uh, and his book is titled, How Can I Be Sure I'm a Christian? And the other one is by J.D. Greer, the book I mentioned a moment ago, uh, irreverently titled, Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. And so both books are about the same subject. They're about assurance. And if you struggle with this, or even if you don't struggle with this, you just want to have greater assurance. You want to put on the helmet of salvation and you want perhaps to teach or counsel others, these would be two great books to, uh, to read. If you're only going to read one, uh, I thought about this. Maybe if you're over the age of 40, read the Whitney book. And if you're under the age of 40, read the Greer book. But both books will be, uh, be excellent. And I'm sure the local bookstore can get those for you or you can order them at Lifeway or Amazon. Great books I recommend. 
So let's talk about the basics of this. To put on the helmet of salvation, to, to secure our assurance of the faith, we really have to answer two questions. One question is about how are we going to get the helmet of salvation, and the other one, how are we going to strap it on? So the first question, how can I have assurance of my faith? How can I get this helmet, the helmet of assurance? And then secondly, how can I increase my assurance of the faith? How can I put it on? So let's start with the first question. How can I have assurance of my faith? Now, there's some irony here. Many, not all, but many people who struggle with an assurance of their salvation shouldn't. You shouldn't be struggling because you're a child of God. You should have peace. Many people, not all, but many people who struggle with an assurance of salvation shouldn't. And many people, not all, but many people who don't struggle with an assurance of their salvation should. And I, I know largely I'm talking to an audience that's not here, uh, but uh, many, of the, many people walking around today, many of the people you'll see today, tomorrow, the next day at work and school and other places, uh, the assurance of their salvation never crosses their mind, and it should. So there's a little bit of irony here, and, and I want to be able to consider both positions as we answer the question, how can I have an assurance of salvation? So let me start with some false assurances. Here are some things that people point to that gives them confidence in their relationship with God, but it shouldn't. Number one, parent salvation. Oftentimes people will will answer the question, how do you know you're saved, by pointing to the relationship their parents have with God. Well, that's important, but it doesn't make you saved. God has no grandchildren. You know what I mean by that? See, you have to have your own relationship with God. It doesn't, it, it doesn't figure in what my parents' relationship with God is. When I stand before the Lord, I will stand alone. I can't say my mom, my dad, my wife, my whatever, my husband, if you're, if you're a woman. No, it's you. And so one false assurance is, is family or parent salvation. Another false assurance is baptism. Now, baptism is very important. God commands us to be baptized. But baptism, we should know, does not save a person. It is the celebration of salvation. And just because you celebrate something doesn't make it true, Right? You could turn 30 years old and throw yourself a retirement party. And you're going to have a great retirement party. But the next morning, you guys get up and go to work, right? I mean, just because you celebrate it doesn't make it true. And just because you've been baptized does not mean that you are a child of God. Uh, baptism follows the act of putting our faith and trust in Christ. Another false assurance, and we have to be careful with this one because... Uh, because this is such a valuable thing, but it can be a false assurance as well. The false assurance of the sinner's prayer. The sinner's prayer. You know what that is. We bow our head, close our eyes, fold our hands and say, Lord, I, I want you to save me. I believe in you and I trust in you and I want you to save me. And you think, well, certainly, pastor, what's wrong with the sinner's prayer? Well, nothing, nothing's wrong with the sinner's prayer. And I came uh, to a saving relationship with Jesus through the sinner's prayer. I prayed sinner's prayer 
Uh, when I was a junior in high school, somebody led me to pray. They had to do a little repeat after me because I didn't know enough or understand enough to really formulate all the words myself, but they led me in a sinner's prayer and God saved me as a result of that. And many of you have the same testimony. But listen, having a relationship with God, there is no secret handshake. There is no code word. There is no magic prayer such that you say these four sentences and bang, you're in the kingdom of God. It's not an abracadabra kind of thing. In fact, you don't find the sinner's prayer exactly in that form anyway, anywhere in the New Testament. Now, the sinner's prayer is an appropriate way to respond to the conviction of the Lord, and it is a tool through which so many people come to know the Lord. Me and probably most of you, I love the sinner's prayer. I love to lead people through the sinner's prayer. But you're not saved, you don't have a relationship with God simply because you've said those two, three, four sentences aloud. That can become a false assurance. Uh, Final false assurance I wanted to mention is, is emotion. Sometimes people will assume that they have a right relationship with God because they've been emotional about spiritual or religious things. Now, emotions are not unimportant, but they're a poor measuring stick of our of our relationship with God. Uh, I, I, I have experienced, and so have you, people who have said very emotional things about all kinds of things through the years. I have seen people weep and cry and promise, I will never do this, I will change that, I trust this, I love this person, and, 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 and their emotions are just turned all the way up to 10, but, but they fade over time. Emotions Emotions don't guarantee anything. The Bible says in the book of James chapter 2 that even the demons are emotional about the lordship of God. So what what is uh, the foundation? How how, How can we express what it means to be a Christian just as simply as possible so that we can measure ourselves by that by that statement so that it'll be clear. Pastor, I don't want any confusion today. Make it clear. Well, I've spent some time on this this week and I've taken the biblical data, the information we have, and I've tried to write a sentence that is as short and as simple as I could write. There's, there are no extra words in this sentence. It is, it is thoroughly biblical. And I think though it'll give us a way to, to Look at our own relationship with God and see if it, is, if it lines up uh, with, uh, with what the Bible says. So let's look at this sentence together. Uh, we can see it on the screen. Salvation is given freely to those with real faith expressed that involves repentance which perseveres. I'm going to give you a minute to write that down if you're a note taker. Uh, That's the sentence. It's not, I mean, it's my sentence and then I wrote it, but it's, uh, it's, it's not from the heart of man. This, uh, each of these key words come straight from scripture. Uh, Salvation is given freely to those with real faith expressed that involves repentance, which perseveres. Now let's, let's look at that just word or two at a time. So salvation is given freely to those with real faith. Let's talk about that. Why do we say real faith? Because because many people 
don't understand really what faith is, and so their faith is not real faith. What is real faith? Well, the Bible teaches that faith is distinct from belief. And we get these two words confused. We think that to have faith in something is simply to believe that it's true. But no, faith is believing plus trusting. It it means not only that you believe, I believe that George Washington was our first president, but I don't really rely on that piece of information to, uh, to run my life. It's just an intellectual belief. But when I get a little bit of money, I take it down to uh, bank Corp South is the bank I, I bank with, and I, and I give them that money. Now, I can tell you, I believe they will keep it safe, but I don't just believe it. I trust them. They've got my $100, right? All, all 100 of them. They've got them down there, and if they lose it, then I'm, I'm in big trouble. I, I, I believe it intellectually, but I also trust in it. I've given them my money. So to have real faith means not only do we believe some things about Jesus, but that we trust, we, we fully trust that what Jesus did on the cross was enough for our sins to be forgiven. That Jesus died in my place so that, my, so that the guilt, the punishment, the penalty that I owed was paid for by Jesus, and that's enough. I don't have to do something else. There's not a balance still owed on that bill. It is enough. I trust in that. And I surrender my life to God because I I, I really believe that Jesus, I trust in the fact that Jesus loves me and that his sacrifice is sufficient. It has to start with real faith. Now, the second part of this uh, statement, uh, salvation is freely given, given freely, Uh, to those with real faith that is expressed. So the Bible, when it talks about our walk with God, it it over and over talks about an expression of our faith. And that's where the sinner's prayer comes in. That's how ordinarily today, and a little bit of a modern version of this, uh, that's how we express our faith. And that's a perfectly good way. and, And that lines up with what scripture tells us. But but, but the faith has to be expressed. This isn't just something you have in your heart that, that you never give voice to. In fact, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, and other places, but Romans 10, 9 says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that, that he rose from the dead, but it begins with if you confess with your mouth, there has to be an expression of this. Now, here's why this is important. Too many people believe that they have a relationship with God and it has been a gradual process. Now, I don't know if everybody here can give a date and a time to to, to their spiritual birth, but there has to be a date and a time. If if you were to explain to me as your pastor, you know, I I just sort of gradually, a little bit at a time, became a Christian somewhere between the ages of four and 24, and and it was just a little bit at a time, and my life just morphed around and, 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 and was molded into this, and I'm a Christian. Well, no, no. If I were to ask you how, when you were born, you wouldn't say, well, it was sort of in the 60s, early 70s, you know, and I sort of, you know, I was just a few cells and then I was a few more. And, you know, over time, over about 10 or 15 years, I became a person. No, you were born, there's a birthday. And the Bible says that that our salvation 
could be pictured as a rebirth. We're born again. There, there has to be a moment. There has to be a, an expression of, of our faith. When I, uh, I asked my wife to, to marry me, uh, almost 25 years ago, we're celebrating this year our 25th wedding anniversary, but some time before that, uh, in fact, on Groundhog Day, I, uh, I pulled a ring out of my pocket and I, and I said, Don, I want you to marry me. Will you marry me? And by Valentine, she had decided, or I had persuaded her. No, she's, she said yes. And, and so we got married. Now, the, it, we didn't gradually sort of kind of over the next three years get married. No, we had, a, we had a date. And we got married on a date in front of a preacher and a bunch of people. And, and we said our I do's. And, and, and there was a moment in time. There has to be that for us. You see, salvation is... Uh, it's real faith expressed, expressed. And then the next part, that involves repentance. There has to be a change in our lives. Now, many, many of you were, were saved at a very young age. If you were saved when you were six years old, I doubt that you have, at six years old, quit taking drugs and beating your spouse. I mean, those, I mean there can't be that kind of, bold change at six, but, but even today, your life could be characterized by change, right? It, it, if we surrender to, to the Lord and there's no change in our life, then the Bible, the testimony of Scripture plainly, clearly, is that we have not genuinely been saved. Our lives will be different because we're children of God. Now, I know that this is the part that causes people confusion and trouble. And so when people come and ask me about an assurance of their salvation, this is usually what they want to talk about. They'll say, pastor, I mean, I'm, I'm, I sin a whole lot less than some people and they'll, they'll give me some names usually, <laughs> but pastor, I, I think I probably sin a lot more than some others. So, you know, there's been some change. My life I could say is somewhat characterized by change, but in some ways I, I still sin. So have I changed enough? And see, that's, that's a good question and a bad question at the same time. Uh, it's a good question because that's what we need to deal with in order for so many people to have assurance of their faith. It's a bad question in that ultimately our salvation is not about you fixing you. It's about you trusting Christ and Christ will fix you over time and ultimately when we, uh, when we ascend to heaven. But, but how much change is enough change? Now, like I said, poor, poor question from a theological point of view, but it's the question people are asking, so it's the question we need to answer. The Bible says that if you have settled sin, and that's my word, but I'm going to show it to you from Scripture in a moment. If you have settled sin in your life, that's, that's not compatible with being a Christian. If you struggle with sin, that means you're in a fight with sin. You're trying to overcome sin. You feel guilty over sin. You regret sin. You want to stop sinning. Then that's evidence that you, that you are a child of God. It is, as the Bible teaches, the lifestyle of sin, the settled fact of sin that would call someone's salvation into question. You know, the best way, I thought about this this week, how, how can I best and most faithfully explain this? 
The best way to do it is just to point you to Scripture, right? And if you were to take the book of 1 John, it's one of the shortest books in the New Testament. Uh, you could read it in 15 minutes. Uh, if you take the book of 1 John, and I did this this week, and you just read it through, beginning to end, what I found, just one pass through the book, I found 10 different times when 1 John says, if you're a genuine Christian, this will be true of you. Or if this is true of you, then you are not a Christian. And let's let 1 John, uh, let's let God use the actual words of Scripture to, uh, to exhort you, to encourage you, to convict you. But, but let me just give you uh, some, uh, some examples. I'm not going to go through all 10 because I want you to, I want you to do a little digging and, and, and learn these yourself. But, but let me give you just four quick examples uh, of, of what, what you're going to find. So first... Uh, if you are a Christian, you will have a deep awareness of sin. I saw that in 1 John 1, 8. It says, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If you believe that you never struggle with sin and you're just fine, well, that's a, that's a sure indicator. The Holy Spirit's not in your heart. I'm telling you, in my heart, I'm, I'm, I'm in turmoil over my sin all the time. And that should be the normal experience of a Christian. If you think you have no sin, there's, there's reason, reason to be concerned. I'll give you a second one. We must live in conscious obedience. Listen to this in 1 John 2. Verse 3 says, this is how we know that we know him. So this is how we know. If we keep his commands, the one who says... I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands. And the, the, the language there, the tense of the verb there is this lifestyle that, that, that has a lifestyle, a settled lifestyle of sin, who doesn't keep his commands. He's a liar and the truth is not in him. Let me give you a fourth one. A real Christian despises the world and its ways. So I found this one in verse 15, chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If your ultimate satisfaction is worldly things, you're not a child of God. I'll give you one more because I, I like this one most of all. It's in chapter 4. If you enjoy listening to the Bible taught is a good sign. If you don't, uh, that's a sign. L listen to 1 John 4, 6. We are from God, uh, John says. We are from God. And anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. He said, if you're a, if you're a believer, you're going to love to get under the teaching of, of God's word. So uh, salvation is given freely to those with real faith that's been expressed that involves repentance. That means a changed life. And finally, that perseveres. So while we're here in 1 John 2, 1 John, I want you to see uh, chapter 2, verse 19. See, a, a lot of people, often people are in church for some period of time and they seem to love the Lord, but they just fade away. And so people will say, well, pastor, I believe this person is a Christian, even though he's not been walking, she's not been walking with God for the last 20 years. 
let me tell you what they were like 20 years ago. And so we, we base our assurance of their salvation or even sometimes of our own on some historic event we think we can remember instead of on the perseverance that the Bible says is the surest sign that our faith is real. In fact, this, this evidence is mentioned more often than any other evidence in the, in the New Testament that our faith is genuine, that it lasts. You've heard me say this before. I copied it from a pastor friend of mine. Faith that fizzles before the finish. Have you heard this before? Faith that fizzles before the finish was faulty from the first because faith lasts. Now, let me show you that to you very quickly here in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. It says, they went out from us. That doesn't mean they left a church and went to another church, but they walked away from the faith. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. That means they never were children of God. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. If, you, if they would have genuinely been Christians, they would have stayed in the faith. However, he goes on to say, they went out so that it might be made clear. Your Bible may say it might be made manifest so that everyone will know they left us so that it would be clear that none of them belongs to us. You see, faith, salvation is given freely to those uh, with real faith expressed that involves repentance, which perseveres. How can we have assurance that's it? And when we have that full assurance, then we're able to have confidence, even with the lives of Satan that tries to make us feel guilty and ashamed and tries to pull us away from the Father, we know and we can claim the promises of Scripture that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, Romans 10, 13. Whoever believes in Jesus Christ will not perish, John 3, 16. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, Romans 8, 39. And we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, Ephesians 2, 12 and 13. When, when we take that statement and we can say that describes us, then we have assurance of our salvation. Now, very quickly, very, very quickly, let me tell you how to put the helmet on. I spent too much time telling you how to get it, but let me tell you quickly how to put it on uh, because the Bible says here in our passage, Ephesians six seventeen, to put on the helmet of salvation to, to grow in your assurance. You need to have more and more and more assurance of your salvation. Here's how to do it. First, regularly repent of all known sin. 1 John 1, 9, uh, confess your sins. And he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, the Bible says. If you have unconfessed sin in your life, listen, that sin will germinate and it will grow into the fruit of doubt. If you have unconfessed sin in your life, you will doubt. Start there. Daily confess your sins before the Lord. Secondly, abide in Christ through prayer and Bible study. The Bible talks about walking with God and walking with Christ and being connected with Christ. And we, we've seen over and over in John chapter 15 that that includes praying every day and reading our Bible and studying God's word. That's how we stay close, one of the ways we stay close with Christ. Now here's the reality. When you give space, when you leave space between you and Jesus, 
Satan will get in between the two of you and lie to you about reality. And oftentimes when people who are genuinely saved doubt their salvation, it's because they've allowed this space to grow between them and the Lord. And Satan gets right in there and lies. If you're close to Christ, you'll know when it's the word of Christ and the conviction of the Holy Spirit and know when it is the lie of Satan that tells you you're guilty and you should be ashamed and drives you away. The Bible says in John 10, 27, my sheep will know my voice. You walk with Christ, you'll know when it's the Lord. Uh, the third thing, letter C, express confidence in the character of God and the work of Jesus Christ and the promises of scripture. So you need to know who is God. You need to know something of the character of God. This isn't an advertisement for tonight's class, but one of the ways I'm, one of the reasons I'm looking forward to my own personal study of the, of the character of God in preparation for our Sunday night is because the more I know, I've experienced this, the more I know of God's character, of his sovereignty, of his power, of his justice, uh, of, of, of his goodness, of his righteousness, the more I know of God's character, the more confidence I have that, that God will be true to his word, that whoever confesses with his mouth and believes in his heart, that, that, that he'll save them. The, the, more I, the more I know about the character of God, the promises of scripture, the more it increases my, my faith. I'll read to you a verse I read at the beginning, 2 Timothy 1.12. The apostle Paul says, I know whom I have believed. I know who I've believed in. I know his character. I know that, that he is a promise keeper. I know whom I have believed. And because of that, I am persuaded that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to that day. The more you study and know the character of God, the greater your assurance will be. And then finally, set down stakes in the kingdom of God. When, um, when the Lord uh, led us to come pastor First Baptist Church of Nacogdoches, and live here in this uh, city, uh, first thing we wanted to do is to buy a house. I wanted to own a piece of property. I want to have an address that's mine because I, I want to sit down stakes. I'm, I'm here. This is home. People ask me sometimes, uh, Pastor, where's your hometown? Well, Nacogdoches, Texas. I want to set down my stakes here. Now, if, if, we, if, if, we, if we want to grow in our assurance of our salvation. We need to set down some stakes in the kingdom of God. Here, here are the three stakes you need to set down to, to give some permanence to it. Number one, you need to be baptized. See, see when, when you have the celebration, when, when you get baptized in front of, in front of everybody, it, it is a public declaration, I'm going public with my faith. And it helps us just be established. It's like Buying a piece of property, it's like signing for the house. It's, I mean, I, I have set down my roots. I want everybody to know I'm a follower of God. Baptism, that's how you set down stake number one. Number two, church membership. You need to be plugged into a church, not just casually, not just this is the church I attend, but no, you need to plug in. This is it. This is my family. I'm accountable to them. They can count on me. I am, I am investing my finances there. I'm investing my life there. You need to plug in to a church in some sort of substantial way. I, I tell you one of, the, one of the very sad and very happy things that happened in my life in 2019, Donald know this, my daughter, my oldest daughter, I'm really disappointed in her, she joined another church. 
And we got the letter here at the church. And I said, oh, no. She, we've never not been a part of the same church. And it, was, it, was, it was sad. But you know what? She needs to join another church. She needs to, wherever she is, she needs to get plugged in and established. That's her church. And she probably won't live there forever and she'll go join another church. But she's there now. And she needs to, she needs to be accountable to that church. She needs to be giving to that church. You need to set down a stake, join a church. And then finally, you need to join a small group. Uh, you know, a true disciple is someone who loves God and loves people. You've got to be, and the Bible says this over and over in the New Testament, you've got to be connected with other believers. Join a small group. Go to Sunday school. Say, well, that's not important. I get enough Bible study. Listen, Sunday school is not about Bible study. Now they do Bible studies and very, very good Bible studies. And you'll learn a lot and you'll benefit from that. But, but what's more important than the Bible study, and, and you know that's odd for me to say because I'm just the Bible study person, but more important than the Bible study, at least during that hour, is that you're connecting with people and you're ministering to them and they're ministering to you. And when you don't show up one Sunday, somebody calls you on the phone and says, hey, where were you today? Where you're not the same without you. It's like you missed family reunion this year. You've got to be here. We care for you. You need to join a small group. Set down some stakes and watch your assurance grow. Head bowed, eyes closed. I'm way over on time, but here's the, here's the challenge. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, God does not want you to live with these doubts. And some of you today just need to nail it down and you need to put your trust, you need to express your faith in Christ. And I'm going to be standing here. Some other ministers will be standing up here as well. You don't have to say anything to the church, but would you step out in just a moment, if you've never done this, and let today be the day you nail it down. I'm going to put my trust in Christ. You say, well, I don't know. I don't know for sure. Listen, I'm not for you praying to receive Christ every three days for the rest of your life. But I'm telling you, if I didn't know for sure, I would get sure today. I would step down and I would talk to somebody. I wouldn't worry what anybody else thought. Nothing is more important than this. And so as soon as we stand and begin to sing, if you're not sure and you want to be sure, you step down and let us help you be sure this morning. Now, he tells every single one of us, put on the helmet of salvation. We need to grow in our shirts. Would you commit to that and know the peace and joy that comes from having that certainty? Uh, Father in heaven, thank you that you guard our salvation in Christ and that we can have an assurance Help us to live with that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.